Amen. All right, so um, so we're continuing in Hebrews, although I'm going back. So there was some counts, there were some things that got canceled, whatever. And so there's moving around. And so last week, Pastor Jeremy preached ahead of me. But this kind of ties, it ties in. So it's going to be really good. So we're going to go backwards a little bit, go back. And we're still in Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm going to read verses 5 through 13. And it reads, and, ha- and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness." Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. So in English law, an illegitimate child is termed nullius phileus. It's Latin. And it means a son of nobody. The King James uses a different word for it. And we say that as a cuss word, but it was never meant to be that. The term is bastard. And it means illegitimate son. It means a son of nobody. You know, and when I was a kid, Tracy will remember this story very well. When I was a kid, I didn't have a father. And I was a very, uh, I liked to learn kid. I wanted to learn things and, and, and I liked to learn big words. And I learned what the word bastard meant when I was a child. And so when I would introduce myself to people, I would say, hello, my name is Crystal. I am a bastard. Because I didn't have a father, and to me, I was smart because I knew a big word that other people didn't know. But it was really sad. It means a son of nobody. Illegitimate children are abandoned by their father, and the care of them is left to their mother. Father endeavors to avoid all responsibility usually to be concealed and unknown. The child, he does not wish to recognize. He does not provide for him or instruct him or govern him or discipline him. A father who is worthy of the name father will do all these things. It's the duty of a father to chasten his children. So the writer of Hebrews says it is with Christians. And if you remember, the Hebrews here are scattered believers Okay, they're scattered, they're being persecuted, they're afflicted, and 
here the writer is telling these, God has not cast these persecuted and afflicted believers off. In every way, God was demonstrating toward them the character of a father while they were being afflicted. And and it should be that if we went through this life without any occurrence that would indicate the care and attention of a loving father designed to correct our faults, it would show that we have never been his children. We were cast off and wholly disregarded. This is a beautiful argument that we should receive every affliction as full proof that we are not forgotten by the Almighty. God condescends to us good character and to demonstrate toward us the watchful care of a father. And the term chasten here is used in the most general sense. I love word studies, which is why I'm a little more of a teacher than a preacher. And, and chasten here means to bring forth blood by whatever means necessary. So it's general affliction. So when he's saying the discipline and chastening of the Lord, he's saying general affliction whose purpose is to bring forth blood in you to produce good character. And he scourges every son whom he receives. And so scourging here denotes the highest degree of chastening with the sharpest punishment. A little bit more than the false love gospel is teaching us. So God then proceeds to scourge us and chasten us. Every son and daughter, there's no exceptions. If you do not receive it, you're not his. You are illegitimate and you are a bastard. Hebrews says, have you forgotten this message of chastening? He starts off with that. He said, have you forgotten this message? This is an Old Testament message. He said, this is the message of God. He said, have you already forgotten this? This message of chastening and affliction has been lost by the gospel that's being produced right now. That God just loves you and wants to bless you and wants to just he, he do whatever you want. And God is producing obedient and righteous children, not spoiled, disobedient, rebellious brats. Affliction, then, is good and pure and has a purpose. It has a purpose. Affliction should be guarded, regarded as chastening and not... As a small matter. Okay, so listen to this. For these reasons, the fact that they are sent by God. Whatever he does is of importance and is worthy of profound attention of his people. So if affliction is sent by God, then we should regard it as worthy of our attention. They are sent for some important purpose and should be regarded with attentive concern. So we should attend to them. We should attend to affliction. What is God doing? Psalm 94, 12 says, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. So here we have that. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord. Revelation 3, 19, As many as I love... I rebuke and chasten. 
Therefore, be zealous and repent. Chasten to bring forth blood. And I don't know what part of that sounds fun to you. And the writer of Hebrews said that. He said, no, pain is not fun. He said, it's not. But God is doing something so you should pay important attention to the affliction. Men despise affliction when we treat them with affect or unconcern. When we fail to receive them as divine admonitions and regard them as without any intelligent design. It says right here, God is doing it. When we receive them with expressions of contempt and speak of them of the care and providence of God with scorn. We just read if God doesn't chasten us, bring forth blood, then we are not his children. Ouch. And it should be a matter of deep concern when we are afflicted in any matter, not to treat the matter lightly. But to derive from our trials all the lessons which they are adapted to produce in our lives. Amen. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, not only that, we glory in tribulation. Paul says we glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. God is producing in us character. And character produces hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we have here love and glorying and in tribulations. And the great aim of all discipline, right? As, and he says, as earthly parents, they train their sons or daughters. We train these for an earthly occupation, to walk on this earth, to, to be productive members. I would say, I, I want my kids to be productive members of society. But these last a little while. God trains us for an eternal end. We're being trained for an eternal end. And he said that we should be partakers of his holiness. And the writer of Hebrews confirms this in that following verse. Pastor Jeremy preached this last week. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no man shall see God. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So God through affliction now, through his chastening, through his disciplines, he's producing in us holiness. He is transforming his people into a holy people, peculiar and set apart for his purposes. That's what holy, holy means. It means set apart for the purposes of God. It includes righteousness It includes moral living. It includes a departure from sin. And a man can be kind. A man can be gentle. He can be meek. He can be disciplined. He can be full of self-control. And he can do a ton of good works and good service. But a man cannot be holy without the Holy Spirit. So it says, without holiness, no man shall see God. So you can do a ton of good works and go to hell. You can serve and be generous because the world does these things. But he said, you, you cannot see God unless you are holy. And through this chastening, bringing forth blood, he is making us holy people. 
It is through the process of refining that he is making me more like him. So that I may walk in the light as he is in the light. And that's the ultimate goal of chastening is to be more like Jesus. And if you've arrived there, go ahead and leave now. (laughs) Probably no one has arrived yet to the stature of Christ. So we can agree that we're in the process and we can agree we need chastening. If I fail in becoming holy, whatever else I have accomplished, I fail in everything. I can make myself rich, cultured, learned, famous, refined, prosperous. But if I have not begun to be like God in purity and will and heart, then my whole career has missed the purpose for which I was made and for which all the discipline of life has been lavished upon me. If I fail there, wherever else I succeed, I am a failure. Succeed there and wherever else I fail, you are a success. And this is the intention of our afflictions. They are meant to refine us, and they will blow us into the secret place of the Most High. I'm sure that among you all, there, that, that some of you can thankfully test, they were brought nearer to God by sorrow than by prosperity. Yeah. That's usually how it works. Paul's thorn was, uh, was to keep him humble and relying upon the Lord. King David talked much about affliction's purpose in Psalm 119. Verse 50, he says, This is my comfort and my affliction, for your word has given me life. Verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness, You have afflicted me. But also the affliction that's meant to bring us near to him may be in vain. The same circumstances may produce opposite effects. And I have watched people who have been made hard, sullen, and bitter through sorrow and affliction and blame God and turn from their only source of help. Some are driven by the affliction to their knees. Some are driven to their destruction. This is one of my favorite quotes by Spurgeon. He said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Brothers and sisters, we want to take care that we don't waste our times of affliction. That you don't let the precious gifts of disappointment and pain and loss and loneliness, ill health, death, or similar afflictions that come into our daily life to mar us instead of mending us. See that you draw nearer to God and that they do not drive you farther from him. And the Christian walk does not render us insensible to suffering. (laughs) Does two things. It enables us to bear the pain without complaining Bear the pain without complaining. Bear the pain without complaining. And in turn, it turns the affliction into a blessing. And the effect is seen in a pure life and a more entirely being devoted to God. And we're not to look at the fruit of affliction while we are suffering, but afterward, it says. 
Because afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Because the chastening of the Lord is a tree that bears good fruit. And we do not expect the fruit to form and ripen at once. At least we should not. It may be long maturing, but it will be rich when it's ripe. It frequently requires a long time before all the results of affliction appear. It can take a long time. Just as it requires a long time to form and ripen fruit. But when those fruits are ripened, they are fruits of righteousness. But afterwards, they make us more holy, more dead to sin, more dead to the world, and more alive to God. And they are peaceable. This means they produce peace, calmness, and submission in the soul. They make the heart more tranquil in its confidence in God and more disposed to the promotion of peace. You know, and I say this, I've said this to people, you cannot pay me all the money in the world to lose the peace of God that I have. It ain't worth it. And watch how people react in times of affliction. Because it reveals whom they trust. There's a worst affliction coming. And if you don't settle this now, the worst will destroy you. In the days of the prophet Jeremiah, he was facing light persecution from some of the priests. And the Lord spoke a stern word to him. He said, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if the land of peace wherein you trust, they wear you, how will you do in the swelling of the Jordan? Basically, he says, in this time of a virus and it's wearied you, how are you going to contend when there's war in the land and you can't get food and the rivers come and flood your house? How are you going to contend? And the time to prepare for affliction is before affliction hits. And he says, now no chastening for the present time seems to be joyous. So the writer here is anticipating an objection. Because why? There's grief and sorrow that comes with affliction. And, and so how then should they profit from this affliction? And the apostle answers them by granting that he's saying to them, right? No affliction seems joyous, but when viewed through the lens of faith, they are tokens of God's love. And they're evidence of our sonship. No affliction. He says, it's grievous right now and it's painful and it hurts. But guess what? When you look at it through the lens of God, through the lens of his word, through the lens of faith, you see that it's because God loves you and you are his child. And that should produce hope in you. But afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Unto them that are exercised thereby, those who train up and instructed in the school of affliction. So that means that when we go through it with those good and right attributes, it produces that fruit afterwards. And we're trained now for the next affliction. We're trained for the next affliction. But here, you know, a lot of people, 
Or that song, she'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. Do, do. She'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. She'll be. Because you know what? Because you run from affliction. You don't face it. You don't turn to God. You get angry. You get bitter. You get, you complain and you grumble. So you're not training yourself for any greater affliction. So then a greater affliction comes, and now this greater affliction actually has the capacity to turn you away from God. There's many useful lessons of faith and hope, patience, experience, humility, self-denial, resignation of our will. These are learned through affliction. You know, and, and when, when uh, I'll, I'll just share a little bit of, of my history in our early years of ministry, you know, um, you know I, I, and I don't know what people think about me. I mean, I can guess what some people think about me, but <clears throat> my, my life has not been easy. My childhood was not easy at all. My life was not easy. We had some, we had some brief early years on easy street that were easy. And then we joined, we, we decided to plan a church. And the minute we stepped out in faith to do that, let me just tell you, affliction came hard. And there were many, many, many years, probably the first seven years, and, and I had an incredible difficult time. Um, part of this was I began talking about my past, and so things were coming out of me. Uh, I talked about uh, sexual abuse that I had never talked about before. I was having um, things come out of me that I had never talked about, that I had never really addressed. I kind of just stuffed them down. And so I was having panic attacks, and I was ang- I was having anxiety. And, um, you know, uh, kids were crazy. Matt's never, you know, Matt was working full-time, and, 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 and at, we, we were running the church full-time. And you come to church, and everybody expects you to act and look a certain way. And inside, I was just dying, you know, and I, I got put on, um, I, I, I saw a counselor and I got put on a drug and the drug for a process of nine months just got worse and worse and worse inside of me. And then I had to, I had to go through, um, I had to get off of it. And um, I, I went through like the worst withdrawal symptoms that I've ever had for months and months and months and months. It never ended because you have to taper off this drug. So it just never ended. It never ended. And it was horrible, 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 horrible time. But I'll tell you what it did. It drew me to the throne of grace. And I remember one time I was in a, a, a Sunday morning and I was running upstairs to do something. And one of the older ladies looked at me and she said, are you okay? And I said, no. And I started crying. I said, no, I am not okay. I'm not. She said, do you want to go to a service with me tonight? So they have a Sunday night prayer service. And I said, uh, yeah, I said, I'll go with you. And I remember this service and I was in service and I was sitting there and I was just praising God and I was crying out to him and they were doing all sorts of stuff up here. I don't even know what was going on. And the Lord said, if you want a healing crystal, I want you to run to the altar right now in the midst of everybody doing their own thing. I don't, there was not even worship going on there. Somebody was t- up here talking and I ran to the altar and, and, you know, I, I don't know if I show this to everybody, but I'm going to share it tonight. You know, it was one of the times that I literally was translated into heaven and I don't know how else to explain it. And I saw the throne room and I was in a different place 
And I knew everything was going to be okay. But the, but the, but the, the process of affliction... God taking me through that, drawing me closer to him, drawing me near to his throne so that the next time I continue to run to him. No one else can heal me like God. No one else can do for me what the Lord can do for me. No one else can heal my body like God can heal my body. No one else can heal my soul like God can heal my soul. And even though he's using this affliction to bring me through it, He's perfecting in me character. Because he said, Crystal, if I'm going to use you here someday, I need all this junk taken care of. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather heal. So the Hebrews here, the meaning here is to remove all obstacles out of the way. Remove all obstacles that you don't stumble and fail in your time of affliction. Paul told the Corinthian church the same thing. He says, therefore, do not lose heart. He says, strengthen your hands. Strengthen your hands. And your feeble knees don't lose heart. For even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction. Oh, now he says it's light. (laughs) He said for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Even, Even in the grand scheme of things, if you are afflicted horribly your whole life, he said it's a moment. Is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Amen. This is one of my favorite scriptures, Proverbs 24:10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Some translations say puny. If you faint in the day of adversity, I'm not fainting in the day of adversity, I'll tell you that much. I'm standing strong in the day of adversity. Why? Because I've been trained through affliction. I've been trained through affliction that I can handle more affliction. And I can handle more affliction. I can handle more affliction. Those that get through affliction have the mindset of this world is not my home. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. He says, and the sin, which so easily ensnares us, but I want to concentrate every weight. He said, overcome the affliction, which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What, what, what weight or obstacles do you need to remove in order to not stumble when you are afflicted? You know, I, I talked about this at Bible study yesterday because I was talking about preparation before the affliction comes. You can't prepare in the midst of affliction. You don't prepare in the midst of the battle. It, you'll be destroyed. And, I, and, and, you know, I said that's like going out into battle in your underwear. You have no armor. You have no weapons. You have no ammunition. You have nothing. So as soon as you even step out, you're going to get shot. You, you ain't got nothing protecting you. You're not even. You're not surrounded by people. You're gonna get destroyed. 
And we are on a pilgrimage to a heavenly home. Will you enjoy the even the most difficult sections of the journey? Psalm 84, 5, 6 says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. So the valley of Baca was known as the valley of weeping. Oh, interesting. It was an arid valley in which Israel had to go through. They had to go through it when they went up to the temple to worship. So they had to go through it often. It was not a very fun portion of the journey. Yet David speaks of provision in the valley. There are joys of our journey which men forget the discomforts of the road. To the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. To the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. In this Valley of Baca, there's a few things to know. It's frequented often. The Valley of Weeping is frequented often. In order to go and worship. You got to go through the valley to go up to worship. So he said, you're going to go through it often. Okay? You have to go through this. And try as we might to avoid a difficult portion of the road, you cannot. It's unpleasant, it's toilsome, but it's helpful, it's safe, and it's profitable. And the only way to build godly character is by refinement. If you avoid the potter's hands, you'll be unfit for his use, and you'll take no part in his inheritance as his child. Psalm 66, 10 through 12 says, O God, have you have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But you brought us out to rich fulfillment. So he says, God is leading me through this affliction. He's leading me through this time. He's leading me through this. And the purpose of discipline and affliction is refinement to be made holy and pure and to bring out the rich fruit of peace and joy in our lives. Examine the evidence of your affliction. First of all, am I being afflicted? Ask yourself this. Am I being afflicted during a wrong I have done? Or is it general affliction? Am I being afflicted with the whole bottle, whole body, body? Because that's one of the things too, is that when, when, when uh, if there's a time of affliction, like what's going on in the United States, the whole body goes through it together. So we should say, well, we're being afflicted right now. What, what can I gain out of this? What can I get out of this? What am I, what is God doing in me through this? Because God will use people, circumstances, or whatever he needs to produce the fruit of righteousness in us. And he does. And you have to ask yourself, what can I learn from this affliction? What moral or character lesson is God producing in me? And you have to be honest with yourselves. We don't want to be the man that looks in the mirror and then walks away and forget what we look like. You have to be honest with yourself and say, Lord, 
What are you doing in me? What needs to change? I am afflicted. I am afflicted. What in me needs to change? What in me? Not somebody else. Don't worry about what God's doing in somebody else. It's none of your business. It's none of your business what God's doing in somebody else. Do you think God's big enough to deal with someone else? What's he doing in you? Because we can only change ourselves anyways. Stop praying for God to change someone else. I say, God, change me. Be honest with yourself. Secondly, stop grumbling and complaining. And the Lord showed me this years ago because I was complaining. And, And he asked my husband, I'm not a big complainer. I'm just not in general. I'm not a big complainer. I'm kind of a suck it up, buttercup, get over it attitude most of my life. So I'm not a big complainer, but I was complaining to the Lord one time, and he said, Crystal, Crystal, (laughs) apparently he's from Mississippi. (laughs) He said, complaining only shows me that you are not satisfied with my provision. And I was like, oh, Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me, God. Because he takes care of us in our affliction. He watches over us. He provides for us. He's doing something in us. And he says, if if you don't go through this, I'm not your father. We have to let him have his way. Let that affliction do its work. And here's another thing. God is not testing us with evil. Okay? He's not, he did not put you in the middle of Sodom. Because he'll say, oh, God is afflicting me. He's testing me. He made me go into a strip club to see if I would do something, if I was lusting. That is not God. He doesn't test with evil. You know, I, and I, I remember a preacher used to say, God doesn't test us. And I'm like, well, read the whole Bible. He doesn't test you with evil. Means he doesn't put you in an evil situation and say, oh, see, what are you going to do in there? Are you going to look? Are you going to touch? Don't look. Don't touch. No, God doesn't do that. That's you. I have another Oswald Chambers I'm going to read you tonight. The faith to persevere. Revelation 3.10 says, because you have kept my command to persevere. Perseverance means more than endurance, more than simply holding on until the end. A saint's life is in the hands of God like a bow and arrow in the hands of an archer. God is aiming at something the saint cannot see, but our Lord continues to stretch and strain. And every once in a while the saint says, I can't take anymore. Yet God pays no attention. He goes on stretching until his purpose is in sight. And then he lets the arrow fly. Entrust yourself to God's hands. Is there something in your life for which you need perseverance right now? Maintain your intimate relationship with Christ through the perseverance of faith. Proclaim as Job did, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Faith is not some weak and pitiful emotion, but it's strong and vigorous confidence built on the fact that God is holy love. 
And even though you cannot see him right now and cannot understand what he is doing in you, you know him. Disaster occurs in your life when you lack the mental composure that comes from establishing yourself on the eternal truth that God is holy love. Faith is the supreme effort of your life, throwing yourself with abandoned and total confidence upon God. God ventured his all in Jesus Christ to save us, and now he wants us to venture all all with total abandoned confidence in him. There are areas in our lives where faith has not worked in us yet. Places still untouched by the life of God. There were none of those places in Christ's life, and there are to be none in ours. Jesus prayed, this is eternal life, that they may know you. And the real meaning of eternal life is a life that can face anything it has to face without wavering. If we will take this view, life will become one great romance a glorious opportunity of seeing wonderful things all the time. And God is disciplining us to get us into the central place of power. If we are called his children, then we must endure his chastening. It means he loves me. And I am not a bastard. We are to embrace affliction as obedient children knowing he is doing a good work in us for his glory and his purpose. Amen. 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 We're going to pray. Lord, I thank you, God, for your word. And that's quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Father, let us receive your chastening, God, knowing that you love us. That we are your children and you're doing a good work in us, Lord. Speak to us tonight, Father, individually and collectively. Holy Spirit, if there's areas where we need to change, Father God. We need to learn from your affliction, God. We need to train ourselves through that, Father. Show us, Father God, individually. Show us collectively as a church body where we need to change. Show us us individually as people, Father, where those things need to change in us, God. Let us be honest with ourselves, God. Show us that, Lord. You are good and you are faithful, Father, to train us, to teach us, to discipline us. Lord, and I proclaim, God, that I will not complain when you afflict me. I will not complain when you chasten me, Lord. I will endure it with joy because you are producing in us fruit of peace and righteousness. If there's anybody here tonight or watching online and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you tonight to lift your voice up unto him, to call out to him. Say, Lord, I need a savior. Forgive me my sins. Turn away from the world and run to the Lord. He is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. If you need to say that prayer, just cry out to him. He is faithful to receive you as a son, as a daughter. You are not good. 
You are not good. There is no good in you. You need the Lord. You need a Savior. Your good works will not save you. Being a good person doesn't get you to heaven, only the blood of Christ. If you've been far away from the Lord, take this time to just come back. Say, Lord, forgive me for wandering. Forgive me for going so far away. Repent and turn around. If you receive this this word tonight, Jesus said that the Lord is dealing with us as children. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. A rebuke of God is good. It means he loves you. Father God, we thank you for this word tonight, Lord. Thank you for your chasing. Thank you for your discipline as a good, good father. Producing us that beautiful fruit of righteousness and peace, Father, and holiness without which no man shall see you. Perfect that which in us, Lord. He that has begun, he that has started a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Lord, we just give you praises and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us online. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.